to the church of Cincinnati, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now with a slight tweak that you probably noticed, those are actually the opening words of Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy in their second letter to a group of their friends in a place called Thessalonica. Now, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy had spent time in Thessalonica with these people, teaching them the name of Jesus about his love and his grace. They'd also spent time in Thessalonica persecuted, right alongside the Thessalonians, because of the name of Jesus. In fact, shortly after they left, they wrote them a letter, what we would call 1 Thessalonians, just a word of encouragement to them about how to live and what to expect when Jesus would come back, a time that we sometimes refer to as the end times or or the end of the world. But since writing that first letter, in the last six to 12 months, life has gone so completely sideways for the Thessalonians that they are now beginning to peek up at the sky and wonder if this is the end of the world. Life has become so frustrating, so confusing, so painful, and even dangerous that they are wondering if there's no tomorrow. So these three men write them a second letter to encourage them that no matter what happens in their circumstances, they can know tomorrow. They can know what tomorrow holds. They can know what the future is, and they can know that God's promises are true tomorrow every bit as much as they are today, even though life has gone sideways in the last six to 12 months. Now, does that sound familiar? That is why I think that this is a letter for us, because in the last six to 12 months, we have faced a global pandemic with COVID-19. We have faced the frustration, the anger, the deep-seated pain, the riots and the protests around talk of racism, We face the division of the political climate. But beyond all of those things, many of you, and I know because we pray for you, have faced cancer, physical pain, isolation, depression, the loss of a loved one, all in the last six to 12 months. So as Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy write this letter, I think the key verse in our passage today, as we look at 2 Thessalonians 1, we're going to cover the first five verses. But in the midst of that, he says that he wants to encourage them because of all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Now, there's a lot to unpack here, but essentially what he's saying is that the persecutions, the trials, the tribulations, the hard times, rather than that being a sign that God is not here or God was not faithful or or, or that that Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy were, were wrong about Jesus, he's saying their endurance in those moments actually becomes the very evidence that God is at work. So who are the Thessalonians? Well, Thessalonica was one of the most important cities on one of the most important roads in the Roman Empire. It was called the Via Ignatia, 
And if you read about Paul's second missionary journey in Acts 16 and 17, he actually hits every single city that was along this road. In fact, the pavers that you see here in the middle of the picture actually lead to the city of Philippi. They are original pavers from the Roman Empire. These were real people in a real place with real problems. So Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy begin to write them this letter. Now, we're trying a new teaching tool today, and part of that is because these letters can be so difficult to read. The Greek language allows for Paul to write one sentence that's like two paragraphs long with just clause after clause after clause. But sometimes if you can break the pieces down, actually sort of form a structural outline of a passage, it helps you start to see how things line up. It helps you start to see what the main thing is that all of the other clauses are built onto. And so we're going to do a little bit of that in this series. And the reason for that is actually part of our vision as a church. When you come to Horizon, our goal is not just that you know what Chad or I think about the Bible, or Ryan, or or whoever else is up here. The idea behind this equipping service, our equipping ministry, is that we are actually helping to equip you to read and understand and apply God's word in your own life. So though it may give you painful flashbacks to grammar school, I think you might find this interesting. Let me show you what I mean. Just in the first verse, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. So we'll indent that just a little bit so you can see it's built off of who's addressing them and who they're addressing. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch how similar the structure is in the second verse. Grace and peace to the church, to you, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now as you begin to see it line up, you realize it is the exact same words. God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what takes these two verses from being sort of your run-of-the-mill, kind of standard greeting that Paul completely upgrades. Because in one sense, grace was a common Roman greeting in a letter. Grace to you. Hey, I need some money. (laughs) Peace, shalom, would have been a common Jewish greeting. But Paul upgrades them both. And I want you to understand how he does that. You see, when Paul says grace and peace to you, it it is far more than just saying, kindest regards, here's how the weather is, Aunt Sally's doing fine. You see, Paul comes to be known as the apostle of grace. So in the New Testament, the word grace is extremely common. Something like 150 times that word shows up. John uses the word seven times between his gospel and his letters. Peter really likes grace. He uses the word 12 times in his two letters. Luke, I think, between Luke and Acts, uses the word 19 times. Those are three of the top four as far as how many times people use the word. Paul uses the word grace over 100 times. And it makes sense, doesn't it? The man who calls himself the chief of sinners. 
who understood the need for grace better than maybe anyone else that he had ever met, wants to make sure that every single person he speaks to or even writes a letter to knows the opportunity to receive grace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And what about peace? Well, peace would have been a very common Jewish greeting. In fact, when I was in Israel earlier this year, everywhere you go, they're saying peace, shalom, 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 shalom. It comes to almost just mean hi, except there's a reason that they've chosen this word as a greeting. Because originally what that meant was, may God give peace to you, shalom. And it's beautiful on their Sabbath as everything kind of closes down in the city and it gets calm and quiet and people look at you and say, Shabbat Shalom. May you have peaceful rest from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is offering grace and peace, a Jewish greeting to this Gentile city and to us. And I think that's why it's so critical that he repeats twice exactly the same way from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Because they're going to need it. They're going to need this grace and they're going to need this peace because he knows the trials and the tribulations they've been facing. In fact, the very fact that Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy can all sign this letter tells us how short the window is from their previous letter. The reason for that is that Silvanus joins Paul, we think Silvanus is another name for Silas, joins Paul on his second missionary journey. Okay? Timothy leaves before the third missionary journey, which means there's really only about six to 12 months where both of these, all three of these men could have signed both of these letters. And so what they are offering is not a throwaway greeting. They are offering to the people of Thessalonica that they can receive grace and peace for hard times. And it's offering that to us too. Maybe some of the things I've listed before, you're checking the boxes, those are all of mine. You know, maybe the fact that I even listed them triggered something in you. But you are being offered by God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ that you can receive grace and peace for hard times. And we need it too, just as they did, because in the next two verses, these three men say, you'll notice how often it says we in this book. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations in all your hard times that you endure. So let's break this down. He's going to give thanks for them, but notice it's not just something fun. He actually believes that we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because. And now he's going to give them two key reasons. The first of those, he says, because 
your faith grows exceedingly. Now, this is kind of fun because the word exceedingly there is, is kind of a strange word. It's almost as if their faith has grown so much, even though Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy haven't been there. Their faith wasn't totally reliant on their teachers. Their faith was their own. Even though they'd been gone for months, the people had continued to grow, and this report continued to make it back to their friends. So it's like Paul is searching for some word big enough to describe how much their faith has grown in the middle of the trials and the tribulations and the hard times. And of course, this isn't um, canon, but I kind of wonder if it's like he's chewing on the end of the pen and, and maybe Sylvanus leans over and says, hey, how about like um, hyper growth, like super exceeding over the top growth? And he writes it down because this word exceedingly literally means hyper growth. Big and fast is the growth spurt of their faith in the middle of hard times. Now think about that for yourself. Could it be that the hard times that God allows you to go through, some of the hard things that we've been through even in this past year, are actually an opportunity for a growth spurt of faith? Is it possible to thank God for a faith growth spurt? I don't know about you, but that is easier said than done, especially to be thankful for it. And yet when I just reflect on my own life, when I think about some of the most difficult moments, some of the darkest moments, either because of choices that I made or things that happened to me, yeah, I have to admit that those are the moments my faith grew the most because I clung on to God the tightest because I realized how desperately I need him all the time. And so while you and I might wish that we could change those moments, I absolutely wish there were decisions that I could have changed, choices or habits that I didn't give into, that I didn't have to learn from. Things that had happened to me or people that I'd lost that I wish... I haven't lost. Yet I see that God does not waste the opportunity. That it is not that God is absent, but that God is actually with me in those moments, helping me grow, not just barely hanging on, but when I come through it, I realize I have grown exceedingly. You know, it makes me think of a story uh, that I heard a couple years ago, actually a, a couple right here at Horizon. And this couple from Horizon was telling me how both of them were in careers where they were relocated to China. And they were Christ followers and they enjoyed being at church and coming and learning about the Bible, kind of getting pumped up for the next week. But they said, man, when they moved to China, they were shocked how difficult it was to find a place to worship Jesus the way they knew him, the way they loved him, that wasn't controlled by the government. And they were shocked by how quickly they built unity despite minor differences here and there with anybody they could find who was a follower of Christ. And how their faith grew so much just in those one or two years when faith wasn't easy anymore. When they had to lock in because they were facing hard times. 
course, you and I probably experience that sort of persecution differently. We're not quite in the situation that the Thessalonians were. And yet we also know, as you're watching this, if you are a follower of Christ, if you say, I believe that Jesus is king and my job is to share him with my friends, with my neighbors, to obey him, that's what he wants from me, that's what he wants to help me with, Well, if you tell that to the population at large, all of a sudden they begin to make assumptions. Many people think things about a Christian that now they think they've they've got you cornered, they've got you, they understand, they know how you think and they're not sure they like it. But you and I also know that not all tribulations are persecution. There are many of you who are struggling with physical pain right now or the pain of a loved one. And a few weeks ago, I was talking to my friends Ray and Jenny. They are just some of the sweetest people that I have ever met. In fact, they were some of the very first people, I I think before I was even on staff here, just visiting, who really made us feel like Horizon was a place where people love each other. That they would come up to me after a message and it wasn't just good message, it was, hey, how's Melissa doing? (laughs) Like, man, you remember my wife, you care about my wife, I like you. But over the last year, Jenny has dealt with a ton of physical pain. Just crippling back pain that has extended to other things, that has brought on sleeplessness. And and honestly, I know that I can't even fully understand what she's been through, let alone explain it to you. But it's been devastating. And it has been completely, in every way that it could, attempting to tear her down emotionally, physically, and even spiritually. But a few, a few weeks ago, she was back here at Horizon for her first time coming to a live service again since we've been able to reopen the building. And I got a chance to just talk with her for a minute and pray for a minute as she wrestled with, oh, it just was beautiful, as she wrestled with what she wanted to learn from God in this season. That if he was teaching her something, she wanted to hear it. And how she told me just the other day, to which her husband Ray said, Amen, that despite everything that they are going through, she still knows that God is good, that he loves her, and that his promises are true. Hey, Ray and Jenny, I know you'll see this, so can I just say, we thank God for you, for your faith that is growing exceedingly even now. Seeing that is such an encouragement to the rest of us, that God is good and he is trustworthy and we can endure the most difficult of situations because of who he is. So thank you in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know many of you have stories like that. And I would encourage you, lean into God even more. Let this be an opportunity for a faith growth spurt like the Thessalonians had. Because what happens is, when your faith grows exceedingly, it's not just your faith, but he also says he's thankful because the love of every one of them abounds towards each other. When your faith grows exceedingly, your love does too. Your love for God your love for other people. And he does it again where he's just searching for a word big enough to talk about how much their love has grown. 
Again, it would sound silly if we put it in the English this way, but it's literally the word superabounds. Your love just like superabounds toward each other. I love this because it is exactly what Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy prayed for in their first letter. That they would abound in love to each other. That we, right here at Horizon, right here in Cincinnati, that we would abound in love to each other. This is how they prayed it literally just a few months earlier, that this was what they were hoping for for these people, no matter what they would face. They wrote in 1 Thessalonians, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ, sounds kind of familiar, may he direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you, to one another and to all. See, this, their love for one another, but not just for one another, not just for the believers, but to everyone in their city. This is why the church continued to grow. This is why in the midst of persecution, trial, tribulation, confusion, frustration, the Thessalonian church got bigger and bigger because our friends and neighbors see something in us. When no matter what we face, our faith grows exceedingly, our love abounds to one another, that we love the other followers of Christ, that we are patient, kind, understanding toward one another, and then that we extend that to the people around us. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, they did this for the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians are doing it for their friends and neighbors because that is what God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ have done for them. So think about what it means to abound in love to all. See, again, if we're we're talking about the, the equipping service as a place to get equipped, to go and do what God has called us to do, this is one of the things I love about it because then it's a whole lot more than me just kind of theologically agreeing that this whole thing is a good idea, right? It means that when I go back out into a world that is either afraid or annoyed by COVID, I'm leading with love. How do I love the person who is afraid? How do I love the person who is frustrated? When someone tells me that they are frustrated or angry by what they perceive as racism or social injustice, am I only thinking about what stance I take on which events and what details and what undercurrent or whatever else is behind that or am I looking a friend a neighbor even a stranger in the eye and asking God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ how do I love this person how can our love abound to one another and to all 
can our faith grow exceedingly as our love abounds so that the church continues to grow? And when I say that, I don't just mean horizon. Like the church is a word that means the called out ones, the ones who have been set aside to God. So this building, these cameras, this, this is part of how we get together. But if you're a follower of Christ, you are the church. And that church will grow. So when faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other, then it's not only that Paul is giving thanks, he also says, here's a long one, that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God. We're bragging to other people about how wonderful it is that in the face of persecution, things are going even better for you. So that we boast of you, now look at this, we're bound to thank God for you, we boast of you for your patience and faith. We all want those two things, right? But notice it's their patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations. <laughs> Can I have these two but not these two? <laughs> And yet he sees them all fitting together. And this is one of the places where you start to see things line up. Faith grows exceedingly. Love, patience, and faith in the midst of persecutions and tribulations. And can I just tell you, in the last six to 12 months, I have seen this from you. In the last six to 12 months, I've been thankful for you. And though you may not hear it, there are many of you that I've been sharing your story to other people who are facing the exact same thing and they're trying to understand how do I trust God through it? And I say, well, let me tell you about Ray and Jenny. Let me tell you about Brian, that when COVID was threatening his business, he found a way to trust God for himself and his family when everything else was shifting around him. And let me tell you about Jim, who went to work and said, rather than leaning out of some of these painful conversations, I will lean in because I may be the only one who knows what grace is. I could tell you about BJ, who in the midst of a shutdown, found that that gave him more time to spend with God. And a few weeks ago, he got baptized. I could tell you about the Aruna Project, freeing women in India from sex slavery and that even when they had to shut down and stay home, they continued to be paid by the generosity of our God and of people in this very city. I could tell you about Kenzie and Josh who have started praying together as a couple for the first time ever and been shocked at how unifying it is for their relationship when they bring God into it. Or, or every time you pick up a blue bag from Horizon, to donate food to people in need. Your faith grows exceedingly and your love abounds. It brings thanks to God. And it shows what the church is really all about. Because that's the love that he has given us, right? That's the grace, that's the peace that we extend and we share. And you notice then, this is huge. This is from our key verse that it's the persecutions and tribulations that you endure. 
Now that is easier said than done. But watch what happens when we endure. He says it's, it's the persecutions and tribulations that you endure which are the manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy suffered. The Thessalonians have suffered. But they also suffer, we also suffer, like Jesus himself suffered. You see, what he's saying here is that when you endure that suffering, you endure like Jesus endured. In fact, he says that your endurance is the manifest evidence. That, now, this is, this is some tight wording. This is what I mean about when we can start to break this down a little bit. It's the manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. <laughs> okay, so what, so what is it exactly? <laughs> you see, when we endure, the manifest evidence, it, it's the proof. The righteous judgment of God that what God's doing is right and good. So our endurance is the proof that God is doing good work. That through his grace, he has given you peace with him. That through Jesus Christ, because he suffered, you and I can have grace and peace with the God of the universe. Despite every single thing that I may have done wrong or could do wrong, I can bring all of that out into the light because God offers grace and peace through Jesus who suffered. And he says that he will give us that strength to face hard times. He is giving us grace and peace to face hard times from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that when we endure, rather than saying, well, where is your God if you're facing such hard times? We say, I'll tell you exactly where he is. He is with us. He is with me. I am in him. And his judgment of righteousness, that through Jesus Christ, he has called me righteous. That he has counted me worthy. I didn't make myself worthy. My endurance doesn't make me worthy. He has counted us worthy. It's passive and he has counted us worthy of the kingdom of God. That's what we're suffering for. And it may feel like it's just a little bit or it may feel like it's more than you can handle. But we relate to Jesus Christ so closely in the midst of that and to the God who is with us. In fact, I, I wanna show you one other thing. And this actually comes from a little bit later in the chapter, it's not in our passage. But there's something very significant about the fact that Jesus has suffered for you. If Jesus is more than just a good man. If Jesus is actually God himself, because you and I can never declare ourselves righteous, you and I can never count ourselves worthy, we need God to do that for us. And he says that, that Jesus is the one who did that. In fact, we talked about how exactly the same these two clauses are. God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Now what's very interesting is that in this exact same chapter, 
we see the exact same words in verse 1 and verse 2. God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ within the same chapter. You would think the third time would be the same, but all the way down in verse 12, we'll get there in a couple of weeks, Paul actually changes the language. Now this is interesting because in the English, we actually add the article to help this make more sense. Originally, there's no article here. It essentially says, God, the Father of us, and Lord Jesus Christ. Now when Paul drops down to verse 12, it's actually Paul who adds the article and takes out the word father. So that now it looks a little funky in the English, but basically says, the God of us and Lord Jesus Christ. Now why am I showing you this? Well, what's going on here is something called the Granville Sharp Rule, and it is one of the most concrete proofs that the New Testament calls Jesus God. Not a good man, not a good teacher, not the best teacher, but God himself in the flesh suffering for you. In fact, we see this a little bit in English. Now in the English, you would use one article, two titles, and one name to show that those two titles refer to the same person. Greek does the same thing. Let me give you an example. If I told you that I was going to meet with the president and founder, Steve. One article, the, two titles, president and founder, name, Steve. You know Steve is the president and the founder. But if I said I'm going to meet with the president, Steve, and the founder, well, now you're not so sure. If I said I'm going to meet with the president and the founder, Steve, well, now you're not so sure. It could be one people, could be two. But when there's one article, the, Two titles, God and Lord, and one name, Jesus Christ. That tells you Jesus Christ is God and Lord. No wonder then he changed his format, added the article, took out Father, because you wouldn't say Jesus is Father. We think of him as God the Son. But in the very language, in the very grammar, he has proven to us the deity of Christ. That it is not just a great hero, a good man, or a kind person who has suffered for you. It is God himself. This is why the church was growing in the midst of hard times. In fact, if you look at this picture, this is actually modern day Thessalonica. And I love this because here in the foreground are actually ruins from ancient Thessalonica. And that just tells me this is real people in a real place with real problems, but real faith. Yeah, maybe this one's a little more familiar to you. This is a place we call Cincinnati. And just a little bit to the east of here is a place that we call Horizon Community Church. And I would tell you, this is why we're here. I actually think that this, everything that we've been talking about today, if I could be so bold, this is why I think you are here. Why God has brought us together in Cincinnati, at Horizon, on video, whatever it is, 
to grow in our faith together, to abound in our love together, and to endure together. So when you take a message like this, the words of God in the Bible, whether you, maybe you just talk about them one-on-one with another person. Maybe you just watch this in an evening when the kids are finally in bed and you can say to your spouse, hey, what would it look like for us to abound in love to the people around us? Yeah, maybe it's a group of guys or a group of gals. I don't know. But when we get in the word together and we encourage each other this way, this is how God is at work. And we, Chad, myself, our team, the elders, the community of men and women and students and kids who are here, we are bound to thank God always for you because of all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. You see, our endurance is God's evidence. Can I pray for you? Thank you for these whom you have made worthy. God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, and if there is anyone who is watching this or listening to this today that doesn't yet know you as Savior and Forgiver, Lord, might this even be a moment where they give their hearts to you. They trust you for the forgiveness they need that you could show them how their faith could grow exceedingly. We thank you that you give us your grace and your peace as we face these days, these hard times, and these opportunities together. With your love and for your glory, we pray. Amen.